WCHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston, and on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Is there a deeper story behind miracles at places like Fatima and Lourdes? How many cases of possession go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed? During alleged alien abduction cases, why do some people report being able to fight back? Well, hello there, and welcome to the 390th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those questions from all over the map came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. So we have no guests this evening, and we'll be delving into uh, a lot of subjects, innumerable subjects of the paranormal suggested by our listeners. So feel free to call in, and the number is 248-545-7685. Again, that's 248-545-7685. Okay, so let's get right to it. Uh, First, actually, let's not get right to it, because we have an announcement. Here's the announcement. Have you witnessed something truly extraterrestrial? We're seeking subjects for the first season of a new TV show for a leading U.S. cable network. If you live in the USA and have had an extraterrestrial encounter, seen a UFO, been abducted, or witnessed something that has no rational terrestrial explanation, then please email us at, get your little pencils ready, encounters at hotmail.co.uk. Encounters at hotmail.co.uk. Now get out your secret decoder rings. <laughs> yes. Uh, nothing about Ovaltine, I hope. This is your chance to have our experts help explore your experience and bring that experience to a wider audience. Okay. And the young lady you're dealing with is Lauren James. Okay, our friends at Raw TV. All right. Let's get to our emails and try to stay on the air. Yes. This is once, from... Once we get our hand in the right paper. This is about miracles... Uh, that would be good. Uh, from Margo in Boulder, Colorado. Okay, so Margo writes to us. Colorado, as they say. Don't correct me. Uh, I'm correcting me. No, uh, I really enjoy your show, and I find it fascinating when you talk about miracles with Kevin Cook. When was that? A couple shows. Oh, I don't, I don't really remember it. Uh, you always say uh, nothing in the paranormal is what it seems. So what's the deal with things like Lourdes and Fatima? I know a lot of Christians that have trouble with Mary. Oh, uh, oh, yeah, like, the Virgin Mary. Yeah, yeah I was exactly. like, wait, what? Right. Like, who's got a problem with Mary? Well, I, there are people who have problems with everything. I don't know. Okay, well, that's a very good very good question there, um, Margot. And uh, I'm going to uh, address several things that a lot of people might be surprised at. We don't usually, at least in the past, I, I would try to stay out of miracles and religious phenomena, uh, you know, sort Ironically. of out of reverence for them. Sort of, but they really are part of the paranormal in the sense of the unusual, uh, and and I'll just um, go into that. That the term miracles theologically really means, and this is in the Eastern ancient theological sense, it means not getting outside the laws of nature to do something magical. It means restoring nature to the way it's supposed to be, and the way it was supposed to be was. You know, according to the cycle of history and, and the Christian uh, idea, uh, before the fall of the human race, right? And what? Oh, I'm sorry, you're sticking that thing up in the air. Sorry, I didn't okay. mean to confuse you. Are, you. are you robbing me? No. Yes, with the, uh, with the grill later. Okay, yes. Anyway, uh, 
so, so that, that's what the meaning of miracle really is. Now, Lourdes and Fatima, for those who might not know, uh, Lourdes is uh, in France and Fatima is in Portugal, and they were two separate sites where uh, officially the Roman Catholic Church believes that um, apparitions of the, the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus, took place to some children, different children in different countries, different times. Uh, Lourdes, I believe, was uh, pretty much way back, uh, 18... I don't think the 1870s, right? and Fatima, I believe, was 1916, around the time of World War One. Uh, Portugal, I don't think, was involved. In was it World War One? I thought it was World War Two. No, no, World War One was before that. It was like 1916, 1917. Oh, okay. uh, perhaps I, 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 I should have looked it up. I'm sorry, but it's around that time. But I've looked into these with given our theory that paranormal events do not occur in isolation, and that whole areas are affected always. Uh, and that paranormal events are always part of some, generally part of some sort of flap. I looked into those two cases and several others, and it was very interesting uh, to find that, the, first of all, the, the little children in Fatima uh, and Lourdes referred to a little woman as what they were seeing. And very interestingly, the, the two, the grottos or caves where these took place were known for centuries as fairy caves. So in other words, odd things had been occurring around those places for many, many years. There were UFO reports, particularly in the Fatima case, where people had the, 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 the experience of the, the sun dancing in the sky or something of that kind, uh, moving around <coughs> in this business. And, uh, very interesting um, and certainly, you know, might be sure, sure, probably, probably is true, but you know, it could also have psychological um, causes or both. The appearance of Yeti was also reported Wait, in the past. Yeah, in places like this, we never talked about this. I didn't know about the Yeti thing. There's our next stop in Europe. Okay. All right. Now to, to Portugal. Okay. So, um, I have always wanted to go to Portugal. Beautiful, wonderful people. And so, this is essentially what it is. So, it's Lourdes and Fatima may have been the uh, tips of the iceberg uh, regarding much greater paranormal phenomena. And, of course, the, the church authorities are usually very uh, careful about miracles that they will endorse. There are far more that they don't endorse uh, than there are miracles that they do endorse. But they endorse these. And the priests who went to uh, Fatima from the Vatican to uh, see what was happening saw these thousands of people and they saw the great faith that was being expressed, and for one reason or another, they, they also, I believe, uh, talked to many witnesses and saw also the children, and they witnessed, I believe, the, the this sun phenomenon, solar phenomenon in the sky. So they uh, went back to the Pope and said, this is probably legit, and it's a good thing, and it's strengthening the church, so hey, let's go for it. So uh, it's been um, recognized ever since. Uh, there were also some prophecies made at this time and everything else. But I, again, I think that we may be looking at something that, that may or may not be divine in origin. It could be simply multiversal or paranormal. When you have an area where these things are occurring, you've got worlds overlapping. That's why you see all these different things. Oh, uh, thank you. And so there, there we are. Uh, so I, I, as far as uh, that's concerned, I think that's probably the best answer I can, uh, I can probably give you. Uh, anything to add to that, Ben? No, you pretty much covered all the bases. Uh, and it's well, just a word about about Mary. Uh, very often, in, especially in the history of Western spirituality, there have been reactions to things. Uh, the Protestant 
Reformation in Europe uh, was an interesting phenomenon, but there were, it, was, it was reacting to a lot of abuses that were going on in the Church of Rome, like uh, selling indulgences and all this stuff, and you know, the, the abuse of relics and the, the sort of uh, huge uh, money-making. It sort of became a criminal enterprise in some ways. And uh, there was much uh, corruption and uh, all sorts of problems with the clergy and all this business. So uh, Martin Luther had probably the best of intentions, but the problem is, you know, you, whenever you are founding a new institution because you are against something rather than for something, that's, um, that can be a problem. And of course, they didn't believe they were founding anything new. They thought they were returning to the roots of the early church, even though a few of them could speak Greek. And I've had some of the, some of the more extreme of that branch of Christians tell me they don't care what the early church believed, which is kind of like, like saying, um, hey, uh, I'm the, uh, I'm an official of the United States government. I don't care what the Constitution says. <laughs> Kind of doesn't make sense. Anyway, so that, that's the story on those. And again, miracles being what they are, I think it's it's a matter of faith and uh, whatever uh, you can get from it. I think there is much to be gained from it, and it, it can be a good thing, uh, certainly. So that's that's the, the deal on that. But tip of the iceberg. Okay, we are coming to our first official break, and you are listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio and NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us; we'll be back with lots more. New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com, and Psychic Radio, PsychicOnAir.com. Powered by CBS Radio, AOL, and Yahoo is unlike any talk radio station. With a mission to improve the world one listener at a time. This is where you can be the star of your own show. Our listeners are truly unique, truly interactive, and passionate about their world. The Sky and Psychic Radio listeners genuinely care about the environment, social justice, their personal health, and raising people up to live their best life every day. Our motto is New Horizons, No Boundaries. New Age Views, Life Coaching, Psychic Analysis, Alternative Medicine, and Cutting Edge Mind, Body, and Spirit shows can all be found on The Sky and Psychic Radio. Perhaps you have what it takes to join our broadcast family, an open mind, a great idea, and a passion for enriching lives. Check out all the exciting details by clicking the microphone on our homepage at NewSkyRadio.com or give Lisa Rodman a call at 248-546-9600 to learn just how affordable it can be to host a show. My best friend gave me the best advice. He said each day is a gift and not a given right. Leave no stone unturned. Leave your fears behind. And try to take the path less traveled by That first step you take is the longest ride If today was your last day Tomorrow was too late Could you say goodbye yesterday? Would you live each moment like your last? Leave old pictures in the past Today was your last day The gates the grain should be a way of life What's worth the prize is always worth the fight Every second counts cause there's no second try so live like you've never lived twice Don't take the free ride in your own life 
CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. And here we are with another. Well, this is actually a, an email from Brittany in New York City. Okay, so Brittany writes to us Hi, Paul and Ben. I learn so much uh, from your show because you go into little-known areas that others do not. I am really uh, interested in tulpas. Can you talk about them again? And how much experience have you had with them? Huh. Well, I run into them when I least want to in the past. Uh, Tulpa, generally spelled T-U-L-P-A, is essentially a concept from Tibetan Buddhism, and it's a but it's the phenomenon is known really throughout paranormal universe, multiverse, and what it is, uh, apparently what it is believed to be is a manifestation of energy produced in the case of the Tibetans by a monk uh, who as a spiritual exercise will produce a being, literally, uh, from his mind, at least that's what they believe they're doing, and this being that might uh, serve him or might become a pain in the neck, and, and it's considered a discipline to control it and all this sort of thing. And they don't all do this, but it has been known. Now, I've run into them in the forms of animals and things of this kind in some of the nastier parasite cases. And I believe that a tulpa is a parasite who hears the dinner bell ringing from somebody trying to concentrate on something like this and comes running and fills the bill. They are, uh, in nature, a parasite would be considered a mimic like one of those bugs that looks like a stick, you know, walking along a branch and all this sort of thing, mimics. Uh, they mimic something that they are not, and sometimes they are predators, and sometimes they will avoid being prey by pretending to be a stick, that sort of thing. So that's mimics in nature, and that's what parasites, uh, certain kinds, can be. So I'll give you some examples of ones I have run into. In the Bristol, Connecticut case of 1975, I was still, my teeth were still chattering from the uh, Bridgeport poltergeist incident of the previous autumn. There was a case uh, on a, in a new housing development at the top of a hill in Bristol, Connecticut. And there were 
a lot of odd things going on the, the the house and of course at the time I didn't really realize that these things affect whole areas as we were just talking about with Fatterman Lords and I went into the house and it was a young family they had two sons and there was a, a man and a woman of course and they family of four and the woman was describing how she one day looked out of her window and saw a, a almost you might call it I guess a, a big shadow figure moving across the field across the the street. Uh, no house had been built there. That was the original property where it had been a farm and all this. So that was the first thing that occurred. Among the other things that happened, there was some uh, poltergeist activity. I ran into uh, an entity there uh, and across the street. And it was the first case that I ran into that was that I realized was affecting an entire neighborhood. There would be growling under the furniture. The people would see red eyes looking out of the furniture as if there was some kind of... Uh, paranormal dog or something. Beetlejuice. Yeah, and they would see red eyes looking in the window. Mind you, kind of the Mothman thing, too. But these, I believe, were, were tulpas. These are things that uh, were uh, sort of uh, become attached to a certain area and were manifesting as in different forms. And I think that when these parasites gets enough to, get enough to feed upon energy, enough to become stronger, uh, this is what can happen. So I don't think tulpas are projections at all. I don't think poltergeists are either. Uh, that's my that that was my first experience with one. Uh, there have been several cases uh, over the years in which we've arrived at Ben hasn't run into one yet. I don't think. Nope. Uh, there have been again these animal-like figures, usually very serious, uh, looking dogs, very large, oversized dogs, usually black dogs with the red eyes. I, I think of these as being uh, an interesting part of folklore because in England including some of the places we were in September, they have black dog legends. And they look just like that, these black dogs with, with the red eyes and this sort of thing. And again, I look back, too, on a case that I was not present for because it occurred in 1817 through 1821. But well, I suppose at some point in the multiverse I was there. But this also began with, this is the famous Bell Witch case, the witch, out of which they made the movie American Haunting. This began with a Tolpa-like uh, animal uh, being seen by uh, John Bell, the father of the family, with the red eyes and the whole business. So it's not always a dog with red eyes. Uh, it can sometimes be a person. There was uh, I was not directly involved in this, but I was following it as it occurred. In uh, Toronto, Canada, there were university students who literally got together and decided to create an entity. All right? And this was done by means of seances. I mean, certainly had I been, I assure you this would not have occurred. And they uh, decided to, well, this is what this person is going to look like, and this is the history of this person. This made somebody up. They had a seance, and sure enough, they contacted some quote-unquote spirit. And the thing got so strong, of course, they were feeding it inadvertently, that they could photograph it, and they would see it lying around the campus and all this business, uh, a woman in this case. And uh, th th there you had it. And I think this is a, was a tulpa. And they weren't doing it as a spiritual exercise. They were doing kind of dumb stuff with seances. And so this is, this is what can happen. So the question might arise, uh, when you're using Ouija board or doing seances, are you creating tulpas? Well, I think, what, yeah, in the sense that you might be attracting parasites who might be getting very strong and can manifest in certain ways, yeah, you might be creating a tulpa. So I think that's, that's my, my take on that. And, uh, so wait, is that thing still around, that campus? No, no. Once people stop to stop paying attention to it, it, it kind of fades away, oh. or it will attach itself to one of the people, and that that that's a classic parasite move. 
There we go. See? That's the kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, but again, the, uh, most of my experience has been with uh, animal manifestations of these things, sometimes birds. There was one case where there was a uh, very strange bird would be in this house, and then he'd look around and be gone, this kind of thing. So uh, th- that's the tulpa thing, in my opinion. And uh, there isn't thing. too much accurate information on that, but. Anyway, uh, any comments on that? I know you haven't experienced one yet. But. No, so I can't make any comments. Okay. All right. We are coming up on a break, but we still have a few minutes. This is, about, this is from Mark in Sacramento, California. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, Mark Rice, hello, gentlemen. I am a graduate, graduate student in archaeology, and I have to say that your statements about our ancestors being monotheists have generated some lively discussion in our classes. You do make the point that the matter is controversial, but I do tend to agree with Dr. Langdon and you. Uh, I guess it depends on how you interpret the evidence. Uh, My question follows um, from one of the points you make in turning home. If parasites were uh, partially responsible for turning our ancestors into polytheists, why did their descendants uh, tend back, or, uh, yeah, I guess tend is the right word, tend back toward uh, monotheism? Did the parasites get weaker or just uh, not care anymore? Or did more recent ancestors get smarter or dumber? Uh, <laughs> great show, and I love the father-son give and take. You guys are amazing. Thank you. Ben just gave me the... Uh, all right. I, I, I love our listeners. I think that's a fabulous question. I wish I wish you'd mentioned what, what school he attends, but this is a very articulate and very good question, uh, Mark. Okay, well, let, let, let's kind of look at this. Let me explain what Mark is getting at here. Turning Home was my last book, and in it, among other things, I mentioned the the idea, I go into the history of human religion and how parasites might have influenced it, and so other things might have been influenced as well. Because for many people, there's nothing that, that, that is a touchstone of their being more than their, their religious beliefs, okay? Because that, that has to do with your, not just belief in, in God or gods, but a belief in yourself and what you are and where you're going and what it's all about. Inspirational. Yeah. So... In the world of archaeology in the 1930s, there was a Dr. Stephen Langdon who had been uh, no relation to the guy. Because <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that guy's Robert Langdon. Yeah, anyway, uh, Stephen Langdon, who came out very reluctantly with some findings after many years of work in Iraq and archaeological digs there, he and his colleagues came out with a very controversial statement that our, our remotest ancestors were monotheists, worshippers of one god before they were polytheists, which is the worshippers of many gods. So people say, well, huh, what? You know, didn't they start out? But apparently, uh, and, and I didn't get this, you know, I didn't learn what I know, at least about this, from sitting in a classroom. I went out and talked over the course of my paranormal work with peoples from ancient cultures. Yeah, why don't, why don't archaeologists think to ask, like... Well, they them. sometimes do. I mean, well, now most, they're doing well, it more than they used to. I mean. No, you're right. Yeah, they don't talk to go to the horse's mouth. Well, I believe I went to the horse's mouth, and, and the uh, Australian Aboriginal elder I talked to, and uh, there was a guy from the Nicobar Islanders whom I met in a little country called Nauru uh, many years ago. And then there was um, a Cree elder from northern New York, I should say northern Quebec, and then uh, others, people from cultures that go back uh, as much as 150,000 years unbroken. They told me that they had really one God in the beginning, very Trinitarian, a mother, a father, and a child. We've talked about this many times on the show. And so anyway, this is what Mark is referring to, and I think we're going to have to take a break here, and then we'll resume um, 
dealing with Mark's question here after we get back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, NewSkyRadio.com. Be right back. Mondays are motivational. It all begins with you. And that's where the movement within featuring life coach April Claxton comes in. Join April and her uplifting guests Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Featured on Animal Planet, Court TV, Unsolved Mysteries, and The Hauntings, Psychic Barbara Mackey. Barbara is a sixth-generation psychic medium, animal psychic, and spirit communicator. Tune into Visions with Barbara Mackey at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. There are four corners, and Will and Nancy will take you there at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Existence is what we live for. Adventure is our journey. Metaphysical topics, inspiring and educational guest speakers, psychic readings, and more. Artie's the Party with Angels and Answers, Mondays at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Psychic readings and more. Join the fun. What goes bump in the night? Heidi knows. At 11 p.m. Eastern Time, Heidi Hollis's The Outlander will lunge into topics on all things outlandish and more. Call in or write Heidi to vent or get advice about your paranormally inspired curiosities or challenges. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. NewSkyRadio. NewSkyRadio.com. New horizons, no boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com.
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. We are currently answering some archaeological, uh, I can't think of, Archaeological inquiries. There we go. Archaeological inquiries from a grad student named Mark in Sacramento. I couldn't think of any alliteration to go with archaeology. Okay, we'll try again. Archaeological accusations. Right, whatever. Uh, And, of course, the point being, he read in one of my books that I believe that parasites are what are commonly known in folklore as demons, but are really much more than that. I had an influence on early early religion because people started out as monotheists, according to the school of thought that I happen to believe in. Uh, and ended up as polytheists after that. So th- the idea here is, is did if parasites influenced the change from monotheism to polythe- polytheism um, many, many millennia ago, did they back off or lose interest? And how come people went back to monotheism today? Well, not everybody did, for one thing. But the nature of the earliest polytheist religions, to me, had parasite written all over them. That's why I kind of came to that conclusion, but domination by a petty and capricious God, demands for blood sacrifices, even human sacrifices, pitting one tribe or village against another. I've actually seen them try and do this. Uh, These are all things that are devoid of love and unity and are full of all the buttons we see parasites pushing in people so they can feed on the result. Indeed. Now, by Greco-Roman times, pagan religions had generally gotten beyond the worst of that. As a matter of fact, Pagani, as a matter of fact, is a Christian word, it essentially means country bumpkins. So the word pagan is actually a Christian word. Many spiritually inclined, as opposed to religious people of today, would have felt very much at home in the religious environment of the Roman Empire. Uh, spiritually, there was something for everybody, and you could shop all around till you dropped. You know, people would like that today. As long as everyone made a sacrifice to the emperor every now and then, they could worship whomever and however they wished, as long as they didn't hurt anybody. They didn't. Romans didn't agree with human sacrifice, fortunately, uh, the pro- except in war. Uh, the problem for the Christians was that they refused to sacrifice to the emperor. And to the Roman mind, this said that the Christians were antisocial and against the cohesiveness of the empire. That was a big deal for them. They didn't persecute the Christians because they didn't like Jesus or they, they were evil, but they thought that the Christians were breaking up the cohesiveness of the empire by being antisocial. That was, you, know, you have to understand how the ancients thought. They were a lot like us. As a matter of fact, the United States of America is, is a carbon copy, uh, it, according to the historical patterns of the Let Roman Empire. That's another story. Um, anyway, all this laid the foundations for the Christians' persecution. Now, of course, the Jews often, not always, refused to sacrifice to the emperor, but they usually managed to get away with it for a number of reasons we won't go into here. Uh, but there was a bewildering array of gods, religions, philosophies, and cults, And behind most of these was still the idea that somewhere in there was one superior God who ruled all the others. That never really died. Even in the Bible, you have the Council of the Most High. Uh, We've talked about that on the show. Whether Um, they are anthropomorphic or not. Yeah. Well, Judaism was almost unique in its monotheism and it was always there as a monotheistic religion. Although there are times when you kind of wonder, there was Shekinah and all that business. So anyway, in my opinion, Christianity as we know it today is not entirely a product of Judaism. As a matter of fact, almost everything in it, especially its messianic beliefs, is un-Jewish. 
Actually, most strains of Christianity, especially the overwhelmingly dominant version taught by St. Paul, have far more in common with paganism. I think Christianity wasn't so much a replacement of paganism as it is a sequel. But, the, but Mark's point is that we get back to monotheism. Well, I don't know. Uh, not to impugn the religion I grew up in, but there, there are even some Christians of the uh, evangelical variety who might say that the, the saints and the, uh, the honoring of the saints is really a continuation of the pagan gods. And I think it's a bit of a stretch. Uh, but anyway, there's there's some question as to whether people really did well, entirely excuse, return to monotheism. Well, the excuse is their intercessors. Yeah, I don't know if it's excuse. And you know, I think it's true. Any anybody can be an intercessor. We yeah, can we sure. can be an intercessor with ourselves because we're in better places. And well, well, I think it's because we need role models. To be honest. Well, that's true. That's important for people. So I mean, I have no problem with it. Now, everything has cycles. Social mores, politics, and religious beliefs. Parasites tend to have short. Attention spans, several thousand years can be a short attention span for a parasite. And polytheism, they simply have run its course. Uh, it had become such a hodgepodge that people found it unsatisfying in many ways in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, Christianity was more inclusive even than Judaism, and it offered stability and personalism in, in, in its God. Many pagan practices and beliefs persist in Christian form, and that was deliberate on the part of the Christian church in some cases. So anyway, uh, polytheism seems to be attracting people today again. So, see, the pendulum always swings. So, Mark, I don't, after all that monologue, I'm not sure that the whole business was about uh, parasites giving up or not pu pushing polytheism anymore. Uh, they, they might very well have gotten tired of it, whoever was doing it. Um, but again, uh, assigning human motives to them is very slippery. I don't think it's, you can do that because they're not human human creatures. Their, their, their uh, motivations are alien. Beyond, beyond us. Yeah. Anyway, the New Age movement seems uh, certainly to have revived uh, versions of various ancient ethnic religions. I don't know how accurate they are, the original, but whatever. Um, so was this the action of parasites again? You tell me. I don't know. But, that, but that, that's the history of the whole question, I guess. Well, maybe it came back through philosophy. Uh, well, New Age is a philosophy. I guess. Well, I'm just saying, like, if you, ever, if you thought about it, the, it seems as if the thing that dominated after paganism was the age of the dawning of a sort of philosophy of sorts. Because you have, like, the great philosophers like Socrates and Plato and all that crap out of the West. And I think when people stopped hunting for food for most of the time and became agricultural mm. states, yeah. they had more time to think about things. That's true. Although... Uh, our ancient, most ancient ancestors, uh, it is believed by some, worked. I'm talking about the the hunter gatherers and the, or the so-called cavemen, if you will, had about 24 hours of work in an entire week in wow, order to sustain themselves. No, they did beautiful cave painting. No, no I meant I meant the, the yeah, philosophers. Oh, well, I wouldn't say that. There were several who were farmers. And, uh, um, but yeah, but, but well, philosophy started way back before Christian times, actually. So yeah, I, would, uh, I was yeah. But they, they were really is about three hundred years before Christians. It is a phenomenon of civilization, of course. But if you talk to Australian Aborigines and and uh, particularly certain islanders here and there, and the, the Bushmen of Africa, who are still really hunter gatherers, um, they have profound philosophies, and they have profound religious beliefs. Because they don't need to think about it anymore. 
No, they, they don't. They, they they experience it daily because of their contact with the earth. So I think maybe we're just idiots. Well, let's not get too negative or cynical. Right? And maybe we are just uneducated. Well, yes, I think we we uh, have gone back to uh, or, gone or, back to anything. I think we're overeducated. Well, I don't know. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm just well, let's get back to the paranormal. But anyway, I, I I see what you're saying. So anyway, I think that uh, the, the pendulum swings, and there may be parasites involved in all areas, and maybe not. But we have to keep our feet on the ground and be personally responsible for what we're doing and not blame them for everything. Indeed. Okay. So, all right. Here is one from Brian in North Providence, Rhode Island. And that's not me. <laughs> Hi, Paul and Ben. I find your ideas on reincarnation interesting. Almost everybody I know believes in it, and I know that many religions do. Uh, how do you square the multiverse genetics and reincarnation, uh, or can that be done? Whoa. Well, I'll tell you, Brian, that's a, that's a really interesting question. There has been some research. I'm thinking of the work of Dr. Ian Stevenson. He's a pediatric psychiatrist who worked uh, with children in reincarnations, and particularly twins. Uh, his book, let me think of it, um, When Reincarnation and Biology Intersect. I believe that that's what it's called. So Dr. Ian Stevenson. I don't agree necessarily with what he writes, but I think it's a well, well-written book and worth considering. Um, the uh, whole issue of – I think it is, it is generally recognized that the whole genetic process, the, 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 the forming of a new life from a previous life, which occurs in, you know, from parent to child, has a, has a couple of missing steps. Uh, I'm thinking, Ben, particularly of, of ancestral memory. Oh, yeah. There have been many people who thought that, that reincarnation experiences were really based on ancestral memory. In other words, the memories you pick up from your ancestors. But I always had a problem, well, how do you remember your own death if you were born and you separated yourself from the, the body of, of your father or your mother, and how could you remember their death? Well, I think that that is an issue, unless you look at it from our point of view. Uh, and another issue has, uh, from our point of view is if reincarnation is true in the classical sense, why are there so many, quote, old ghosts, unquote? It's like astronomy. Yeah. Who? What? It's like astronomy. I, it's like um, there's really not much of an explanation for anything, but the astronomers love to say a collision did it. Oh, right. Okay. So... The same. I'm just using that yes. as an example, if you if it makes any sense. The better is doing but, formal study. By the way, we have one minute. Oh, okay. Well, we we'll perhaps continue. Uh, and then then there was the issue of um, uh, well, we had someone on a few weeks ago who said, well, the uh, the reincarnation t- you look like the person you're reincarnated from. Uh, you know, even if you're not. Really, I said, well, well, don't the parents' genetics have something to say about what you look like? I mean, I, you know, aside of this. A lot of this, and then then, then the the big issue is the whole thing about uh, oh okay we have to break uh, yes okay that's sorry right. we'll we'll continue with the big issue in a minute behind the paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio stay with us you have questions we have answers Thursday night at six p.m. Eastern time join Reverend Linda Newman and Tom Force for answers join Linda and Tom for fun uplifting and empowering conversation. And, of course, answers. At 8 p.m. Eastern Time, it's the Zoe Moon Astrology Show. Zoe will be bringing her unique perspective on the cosmos and its effects on you. 
Get a jump on your weekend and insight into the important transits by sign as Zoe shares what to expect up ahead. Life by number is where the numbers really add up. Love, money, health, move. Master numerologist Celeste reads your numbers and the vibrations they represent on the earthly level, sometimes beyond. Thursday night at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. New Sky Radio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons. No Boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. New SkyRadio.com.
Okay, welcome back. And we're talking about a question from Brian in North Providence, Rhode Island, about reincarnation and its relationship to genetics, all right, and if any. And we were making some points about reincarnation. The, the, the big point that we make about reincarnation is that it cannot exist in the classical sense because time does not exist in the classical sense. What you have, and this is the belief from the findings of physics, could be wrong, but what you have is not past to present lives, past lives. You have parallel lives all going on at the same time. All things occur simultaneously. We just experience them in sequence. That, that's how the multiverse seems to work. So the, we have that as, as one of the issues involved. One of the mistakes, I think, that is being made in some of these arguments is that it separates people from one another. Western thinking cannot seem to do much better than taking people and making them islands. You have you, your body, that's it. When you die, you become a ghost, maybe, or you're reincarnated, maybe. But you're a separate person, a separate island. Uh, that's and, why society fails. Right. And the physical transfer of one life to another is completely physical, and that's all there is to it. Well, that, that is not true. Everybody is united. Even the, the matter that makes up our bodies is connected not only to the matter of the bodies we have in other universes, even though the laws of physics may be different and the, the nature of the matter may be different. It's all one big unity, and that includes the physical world. So for a life to be transferred from one person to another is no great – it's a great miracle, but it's no great mystery. I think that um, the whole the worrying about the, the, the astral transfer of personalities and all this stuff, which comes up sometimes in the work of um, – uh, who am I thinking of? Uh, Richard Gerber, or Alan Richard Gerber, uh, The Vibrational Mind is his book. I just don't think – I think those are straw men. I don't think those are real arguments. I don't think they're necessary because we have to get a sense of this unity. Again, the multiverse solves all of this. Now, all energy, including physical energy, is exchanged, is give and take. The system is open, and it's not closed. So uh, bodies are connected, and, and uh, that's it. But again, the assumptions that all things are separate is wrong. So I'm going to leave it at that because I think that's – pretty much the whole story on that one. Yeah, yeah I think a time mode for one more, maybe? Uh, sure. Okay, here's a yeah, nice short question. Thank you for writing short questions. What is the meaning of life? Yeah. Uh, oh, this is one on uh, exorcism. Close. Okay. And this is from Matt in Binghamton, New York. Okay. So, Matt writes to us, Hi, guys. Love the show. Paul, I'm always interested in what you have to say about exorcism. My question is, could someone be possessed and not know it? How many cases go undiagnosed? And also, why does exorcism work sometimes and not all the time? Is it a religious matter? Okay, a couple of questions on that. We can cover all this right now, but maybe we'll have to come back to it in another show. Uh, all no, right. The answer is yes, then no, and then maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, can someone be possessed and not know it? I don't think so. You, may, you might not understand it as possession, and possession in our world is the uh, dominance, the bonding with a parasite, all right? I don't believe these are servants of Satan or demons or the, the, the Linda Blair thing. I think it's, you know, Hollywood kind of thing. Uh, I have seen things like that, but I think their roots, if I look back on it today, I think their roots were... Well, there's an obvious change in people. You may not know yeah. it, 
there is an obvious change, right? And they and they may they might not notice that they've changed so much, but yes. So it can be unnoticed until you really start looking at the person. You know what I'm saying? Well, well, you know, when people really start noticing it is when things start to occur outside of themselves or outside of uh, the person you're involved with, and things start moving across the room, or or things start, you know, attacking the person, or scratches appear in their bodies. Now we've known that to happen to people who have nothing to do with possession. Yeah. But I mean, these are things that I have seen with, with people who have uh, been involved with possession. How many cases go undiagnosed? Uh, I don't know. Probably well, I, it, I think there there are I think the vast majority go undiagnosed uh, when they're even approached for medical treatment. They may be in a society where Treatment is not available, or where it's not a developed society, and they have perhaps folk remedies that may or may not work. But I think most cases go undiagnosed. Uh, so why th there's a question of where, where the boundary is between oppression and possession. When the parasite gets so strong that it ceases being just a poltergeist and Maybe starts that's to why bond it doesn't work some of the time. Well, the big point here is that you have to. I believe there has to be some kind of agreement, no matter how mild, on the part of the person who is being possessed. I think you, you have to agree to it, in a way. So, anyway, more about that in, in some other show, but thank you for writing in, Matt. That's why I was trying to get you to answer. I, th I appreciate that, Ben. Okay. You're, you're, you're a good uh, uh, backseat producer. I try. Okay. So, let's finish up, then. So, many thanks to our producer, Brandon Jackson. Actually, we, do we have any announcements before I finish this up? This was so like, uh, not really. Our, our lecture season is still open. So well, well, we don't have anything scheduled because that was deliberate on my part. Anyway. Okay, well, just 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 wondering. Thank Brandon. Okay. Brandon. I, so we give thanks to Brandon, and we will see you right here next week, November 25th, when my dad and I will present something a little different, a panel discussion with some of our show reporters. And in the meantime, tune into our Boston Providence Drive Time Show on WOON 1240 AM and ON Worldwide at 6 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday. And we still have about two minutes. Well, less than well, two minutes. Two minutes ago. Well, no, no I, I wanted to say first of all uh, to all the Americans listening, uh, very happy Thanksgiving. That is, I think, my favorite holiday. And uh, one of our cousins in England said, "What do you have to be thankful for? Superstorms and all this on the East Coast." I said, "Look, I'm a thankful guy. You know, we have I have a wonderful son and a wonderful family. Yay. I have uh, we, we have food on the table. We have a decent place to live. Uh, you know, we have a great radio. And what, what, what the heck more do you need?" You know, Indeed. we're spoiled brats in this country, and there's plenty to be thankful for, so go do it. All right, anyway, I'll leave you with uh, this evening with a pithy comment from that late, great American guru of common sense, Will Rogers. Even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. <laughs> thanks <laughs> like for that. So thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time.